Ephesians chapter number five. And we'll give you some more information on the Harris family as they prepare to move down. And then continue to pray as we seek out a couple of more uh, men and their families to come on board with us and serve here. Ephesians chapter number 5. I want you to look down to two verses, verse 15 and verse number 16. I'm going to share with you a very simple thought today. And um, I'm excited about the thought, but I need you to make sure you open your heart to receive what God has for us. Because this is something we need right now. It's something that's been on my heart and I'm going to do my best to share it with you. And if you'll do your best to receive it, God will take it and God will work with it. Ephesians chapter number 5. Just remain seated this morning if you don't mind. Look down at verse 15. The Bible says, Seeing then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I'll read that one more time. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16 will be part of the key text today. The Bible says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now let's pray together and let's ask the Lord to give us what we need. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for the message this morning that you've given us to preach. And Lord, I'm thankful that you always give us what, Lord, you'd have for your people to have. And Lord, I'm thankful for it personally. And I pray that, Lord, we'd open our hearts now. Lord, I know that, Lord, uh, we may be fatigued from the circumstances that are about us in our world. Uh, We're maybe physically tired from things that are going on, but Lord, you have something for us today and help us be attentive. Pray that we'd set aside the cares of life and of the world for a few minutes and receive the message today. And I pray that you'd change us. I pray we'd leave here different. And Lord, I pray we'd leave here with a resolve to go and do your will in a better way than we did when we arrived this morning. And Lord, I pray for the lost. There's one lost here today. Lord, show them their need. Lord, show them, Lord, that salvation is available. And Lord, you present it to all men. And if they receive you, Lord, as Savior, Lord, how they can know they have the eternal security, Lord, a home, of a home in heaven. And Lord, a Father to walk with them throughout these turbulent times we're living. And just ask your will be done today for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking there a moment ago while the LaPone ladies were singing uh, about our God. And one of the, my favorite attributes of our God is the fact that he's not only our God, but he's our father. And what a blessing it is to have a father to call upon, not only in any time. I mean, it's always a blessing to have your dad. My dad was here in the early service this morning, and I enjoy calling upon my dad, asking him questions, getting advice, and getting counsel from my dad. And I don't talk to him every day, but it's a blessing to be able to pick up my phone and to call my dad when I have a question about something or something's difficult. And I think about my heavenly father this morning and how blessing it is that as we go through this turbulent time that we're all living in right now, to be able to have a heavenly father that we can call call upon. And knowing that our Father not only knows what's going on, that's a blessing to know, but He knows what we need to get through all that's going on in the world that we're living in here today. And what a blessing that is. Because I've had it so many times lately, I have scratched my head wondering, Lord, what do we do next? And Brother Matthews asked me this morning as I came out of the hallway for the first service, what's the order of service today? And I had to ask them, okay, what kind of service are we having today? You know, we've done live stream, we've done split services, we tried to get everybody back in here together, and that just didn't seem to work out. And one thing after another, it's hard to keep your mind focused on what you're supposed to be doing at a certain time and what kind of service we're having. And I'm glad my father's got all that figured out. And I can go to him and I can get the grace that I need to get through whatever time that I'm going through. And my father, as I with my child, wants me to be prepared. Now, our Heavenly Father this morning does not want his children to be ignorant. We see that several times in Paul's letters where he says, I would not have you to be ignorant. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. 1 Thessalonians 4, he talks about us not being ignorant about those that are asleep or those that have died in Christ. He wants us to know that there's peace in knowing that they're in heaven with him. When the trump of God sounds, he's coming to take us all back with him. He doesn't want us to worry. 
He wants us to have comfort and be prepared for whatever circumstance comes our way from life all the way unto death and everything in between. And right now in, our, in America, even in the whole world really, we are somewhere between life and death. I can't tell exactly where we're at right now, but what a blessing it is to know. That my father not only knows what's going on, but as my father, he wants me as his child to be prepared for whatever happens between here and eternity. And he even went as far as to write it all down for us. Isn't that a blessing? Uh, I mean, can you imagine if he says, look, you're just going to have to memorize this from something. But no, he gave us a copy of the word of God. He's preserved it down through the ages so that we can be prepared for whatever comes our way. What a blessing that is. Well, sad it is that we overlook that so often. Think about my wife, she'll send me to the grocery store and she's always good to send me with a list because she knows if I don't take a list, the odds are I'm going to forget something and usually I will. I'll forget something I was supposed to get and I will come home with so many things that she did not know we needed. And she asked me yesterday, she sent me to the store for one thing, or really two things, really mainly one thing and I went and I bought about 12 things. Came back and she says, did you get this? And I said, I forgot the one thing that she really sent me after. I'm not kidding. I had to go all the way back to West Hattiesburg to get that. Uh, why? You didn't send me with a list yesterday. That was your fault. See, it's her fault. It's not my fault. She didn't send me with a list that time. But our father gave us a list. He gave us a book. He preserved it for us. Why? Because he's a loving father, and he wants his children to be prepared for whatever we're going to go through. And can I tell you something that ought to bring peace to your heart today? God knew what was going to happen in 2020 before 2020 ever got here. God knew in January when we were celebrating the new year and the new theme, we're excited about it. We're gearing up for what God wants to do in Central Baptist Church as we all seek to get engaged. And man, my motor was excited and I was getting ready to go and people were getting excited and God was beginning to work. And then all of a sudden March happens and we forget what normal life is all about. And we've been in this tailspin now for months, four or five months now. And yet God knew all of that. Matter of fact, God not only knew that, he wanted me to be prepared for that. And in his word is exactly what I need to be prepared for what we're going through and what we will go through that we don't even know about yet. And we see that in his letter to the church at Ephesus. This is a church that Paul had spent three years with and Paul loved and was very close to. Uh, it's a church that he's writing to now from prison. And as you read through the, the, the book of Ephesians, you'll see all of these little hallmarks where Paul is giving them what they're going to need to not only deal with current situations, but future situations. Matter of fact, turn back to chapter one. We'll start in here, or chapter number two. He gives his greeting in chapter number one. He tells them, picks up in verse, uh, verse number three of chapter one. He's telling them why God's called them and what he's called them to do. Uh, and he's kind of relaying that foundation of salvation, telling them what they got. Uh, verse number 15 of chapter one, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What is he doing? He's praying that God would prepare them. He said, I'm praying that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants them to be prepared as they move forward in their walk with him. Chapter 2, he speaks of salvation. He goes back and explains that, gives them clarity. What's he doing? Making sure that foundation is solid. You can't build high if you don't have a solid foundation. We look on down. Chapter number 3. Look at, look at verse, um, uh, verse, number, look at verse number 11. 
Paul says, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. What is he letting them know? He's letting them know all that comes with this wonderful benefits package of being a child of God. He's preparing them for his will as they move forward. Now, look at verse 16 of chapter 3. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now, notice, he's equipping them and he's preparing them for the road ahead as a child of God. We get chapter number four. He talks about the unity of the spirit and the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Verse number 11, verse number 12 of chapter four, we read about the officers of the church. We go on down, we see in in verse 13 and 14, that he tells them you need to grow up a little bit. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. He's raising them. He's nurturing them as a father would nurture them. This is our father, what he's doing for us. And finally, we go to chapter number five, and we're getting toward our verses and our key texts for today. Chapter five, we look down at verse 15 and verse number 16. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, you need to understand a little bit about the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus was a church in the middle of a very pagan society, okay? Uh, we think that our world is pagan right now, and it very much is. I, I don't know that you can label it anything else. You know, when Barack Obama said years ago that America was not a Christian nation, Christians were outraged by that, but I don't know that he was wrong. I don't know that he was wrong. You know, the word Christian means Christ-like, and when we're aborting as many babies as we are, and we're perverting what God calls marriage, and when you see all of this corruptness taking place, not only in spiritual high places uh, of, of government, but you see it even in churches today, I don't know how you could call this a Christian nation. Now, here's, here's Ephesus, sitting in the middle of a pagan land. Matter of fact, they worshiped the god Diana there, okay? I mean, they even had a, a false god that they worshiped, and that was prevalent in their society. So here's Paul. Get the context of what's going on. Here is Paul directing this young church, God through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and Paul writing is saying this. You're in the middle of a pagan society, but I still expect you to continue in my will, and this is how you do that. That's what the letter to the church at Ephesus was all about. He's preparing them to survive and to continue in the midst of the culture they're in. And that's what's going to bring us around to the thought today. He says, I know the culture that you're living in. It's very pagan. I mean, Ephesus was a very pagan area. He says, but in spite of all of that, you still have to be the church. And he's preparing them, in spite of the world they're living in, to be who God's called them to be. Now watch, our Father loved us enough that he's preserved the letter to the Ephesians for us today. Now here we are like the church at Ephesus. We find ourselves living in a pagan society now, don't we? I mean, the last four months, exponentially, how wickedness has grown and evil has just become center stage, and the church almost feels backed into a corner. Can't you kind of feel it? I mean, the people of God, you're scared to mention anything about God. You're scared to speak up for God. We're even afraid to, afraid to pray over our food at McDonald's. Why? Because we're living in a very pagan land. But can I tell you, in spite of the fact that we, like the church at Ephesus, are living in a very turbulent land, the will of God still must be continued. The will of God still must go on. So I want you to notice something important. Verse 15, the Bible says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Apostle Paul says, look, I know the time that you're living in. I know the culture that you're living in. But in spite of all of that, you've got to continue in spite of the conflict. And this morning, this is the thought I want to share with us just for a few minutes. In spite of what's going on, we must continue in spite of the conflict. 
See, what is the conflict? Well, the conflict is the culture that we're living in. We're living in a culture that's very unhospitable to Christians. We're living in a culture that's no longer one nation under God. As a matter of fact, you dare not mention that before long, I promise. It's coming off of our money. Just wait. Why? There's no room for God in America anymore. And for the people of God, how intimidating that must be that we have to live and function and serve God openly in a world where that's not very popular to live openly as a child of God. But yet, the work must continue. I want to tell you this before I give you the the title this morning. Do you know in China right now, churches are having to meet underground? All right, underground. They're having to hide house churches. That's not because of a virus. That's because of their culture. And yet the work goes on. The work goes on. Now, folks, look, I'm not going to get up here and gripe and complain about people that gripe and complain. Okay? Kind of hypocritical, isn't it? But uh, I'm not going to do that. But understand this. We've gone through some inconveniences. We had to miss last Sunday, okay? We may have to miss more Sundays later. I don't know. Wednesday nights will probably be live streamed for a little while longer, okay? We're having to go through some inconveniences. But do you understand that there's Christians all over this country that have been living in the midst of a hostile culture for decades and centuries? Do you understand that? And that what we're going through right now is a mere inconvenience compared to what's happening in China. They're having church underground in China. You see churches, go online, look it up when you get home. They're being bulldozed down every day. They've been living under those conditions for centuries. In North Korea, you are kidnapped or executed for being a Christian or worshiping God openly. All right? And yet, folks, we get a little agitated when we have to be out of the building from time to time. Here's what I'm getting at today. We've got to learn to continue regardless of whatever's going on in our culture. They say, well, we need to be in the building all the time. They're not in China all the time. North Korea, they're never in a building. In Egypt, you're tortured for the cause of Christ. Over in Congo, you're executed after you're tortured for the cause of Christ. Now, folks, that's real persecution. And yet those people continue. Their their churches are bulldozed down. Their families are kidnapped and tortured and executed. And yet they keep continuing. Why? Because they understand the truth. That you've got to continue in spite of any conflict to do the will of God that you might hear that well done one day. And isn't that the goal? That we stand before God and we hear well done. But there's no well done on the other end of someone who quits because of the conflict of culture. I want to encourage our church this morning. I don't want to beat you over the head. But I want to encourage us this morning that God wants us to continue in spite of the conflict. Whether we continue via live stream or in person. Folks, we've got to continue regardless. And so this morning, the thought is this. Continuing in the midst of conflict. And Paul's going to show the church at Ephesus something we need to know this morning. Look down at verse 16. We're going to start at the bottom and work our way back up. The Bible says in verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time because why? The days are evil. The first thing I want you to see this morning is really going to help us understand the world we're living in, okay? If you don't understand it, you're going to respond to it in the wrong way. And we understand the world we're living in by, number one, notice the days in which we live. The days in which we live is at the end of verse number 16. The Bible says the days are evil, You ever watch TV and see some people who have some of the most twisted ideals on life? Twisted ideals on what marriage is uh, and what our country should be and our relationship with God and our country. And you wonder, how could you get off so far? How could you be so leftward leaning? How could you be so far off base from what we know is truth of the word of God? The answer is simple. The answer is the end of verse 16. The Bible says the days are evil. There's no need for us to wonder. 
And there's no need for us to speculate. There's no need for us to theorize what's going on in America today. The answer is very simple. We're living in an evil day. That's what the problem is, all right? Now you say, why is that important we understand that? It's important we understand that because if you get the right diagnosis, you find the right cure. But if you get a misdiagnosis, you're not gonna have the right cure. And the diagnosis for what's wrong in America is we're living in an evil day. That's the problem. Okay? Evil is a spiritual thing. God says, I want you to know this, church at Ephesus, verse 16. I want you to know you're living in an evil day. God's telling them that for a very important reason. If you understand what our problem is, then you can start working toward a cure. Me and Brother Bo were working over the school the other day. Brother Bo is like a utility guy. That's a nice bow tie, Brother Bo. Looking sharp over there that this morning. Trying to bring them back. Amen. It takes courage to wear a bow tie. And I appreciate that, Brother Bo. Brother Bo's a man of courage. And we were at the school the other day. And my wife was trying to figure out how to get a filing cabinet in a closet. And uh, I walked by and she says, what do you think? I did not know it at the time. She was baiting me. I don't know what to do. She was a damsel in distress. I don't know what to do. You know, this. I can't get there in here. There's a water spigot sticking out of the wall. And I don't want to break the water spigot. I just don't know. Do you know what to do? And all of a sudden, that's, that pride bubble starts welling up on the inside. And your common sense, it says, don't. Don't bite. <laughs> There's a hook in that worm. <laughs> you know, don't do it. Don't do it. And uh, I says, well, all you need to do is a platform. You need to build a seven and a half inch platform, about five feet wide, two feet deep. That's all you need to elevate them above the spigot. <laughs> that's all you need to do. Can you do that? Ah. <laughs> oh! I was like, she got me, Brother Bo, she got me. I hope Brother Bo's learning, I hope you're learning from this, okay? Write these life lessons down because you're gonna need them one day when you get married, okay? And so me and Brother Bo, we build the platform, concrete walls on three sides. We get in there and we're trying to put the platform in place, but there's a water spigot sticking out of the wall. That's why we're building it to get it above that. I didn't wanna break that and get water all over the filing cabinets. We get it in there and we start lowering, put one end down, start lowering the other end down and get stuck on the wall. Oh, Brother Bo, well, that was, that was frustrating, wasn't it? It was very frustrating. Brother Bo saw me get in the flesh a few times, uh, very much in the flesh. And um, I jumped up on top of it. I'm jumping on it, trying to get it to go down. And, you know, I mean, it, when all else fell, just jump on it, hit it. Andy Griffith used to say, spit on it and womp it one time. Well, we, we spit on it and womped it a lot. It didn't work. So finally, we get on the ground and we're looking. And lo and behold, I know you're not going to believe this, but I cut it just a little bit too long. Really, the problem was I cut it precise. That was the problem, okay? It was too precise. And the wall, a block wall, is not going to be a, you know, a, a nice substrate to build on. So finally, me and Brother Bo did what every, every good man would do. We broke out the Sawzall. You know, when you can't get something to fit, you break out a Sawzall, and you just keep whacking until it falls into place. And finally, we got it to fall into place. But before we get it to fall into place, we had to figure out what was wrong. And the problem was it was too big, and as long as we just kept whittling on it for a while, and I'm going to tell you, it's in there till the Lord comes back. It ain't coming out. I mean, it's in there. We wedged it in there. We blocked it in there. And uh, look, I, I don't think you're gonna, nobody's ever going to get that thing out of there. So it's good that our followers are safe at the school. They're not going to go anywhere. But here's the point. Understand this. We couldn't figure out what was wrong. And finally, we got in there and looked. We realized it was too long. We figured out what we needed to do. But first, we had to diagnose the problem. And this problem in America this morning, we got to understand this. This is not economic. It's not economic. It's not social. It's spiritual. We're living in an evil day. Evil is a spiritual problem, all right? And the reason we need to understand that, God took the time to tell the church at Ephesus, you're living in a culture that is evil. It has a spiritual problem. Therefore, spiritual problems have spiritual answers, all right? Now, who are the people in charge of the spiritual answers? I'll give you three guesses, and the first two don't count. It's the church. 
It's the church. Here's the problem. The church is ignoring the fact that the problem in our culture today is a spiritual one. Turn a page over to your right, chapter 6. I'll show you this. Watch these terms in verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of what? Darkness. That's spiritual darkness. The Bible says of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Look, if we're going to be part of the cure, we've got to understand the problem. And the problem is America has an evil problem, a wickedness problem that can only be cured by the cure the church carries with it, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's what we've got to understand. We can't help them if we don't take them the true cure to what they need. Now, watch this. What is evil? The Bible says that they're living in an evil day or an evil culture. What is evil? Listen closely. The presence of evil results from the absence of God. You with me there? The presence of evil results from the absence of God. You take God out, something's going to fill that vacuum. And what fills the vacuum of where God used to be is evil, all right? It's not that evil's that powerful. Evil becomes the default when God's not there. That's why you better be careful, listen, removing any part of God from your home. Why? Because what's going to fill that void is evil. For the early service, years ago, we clear-cut some property there at the camp and cut a lot of trees down. Beautiful, beautiful hollows we clear-cut. And you walk through, it was oak bottoms, beautiful trees, oak trees, and a little stream that ran down through there. And there was nothing growing on the floor of the hollow. We went in and we clear-cut all of those trees out of there, and uh, all of a sudden something amazing happened. All of these vines and poison ivies and thorn bushes and all of these saw briars begin to pop up and to spring up, and now you can no longer even walk through that area. It's so full of vines, it's so full of poison ivy, it's so full of all of these little, I mean, you'd have to get on your hands and knees just to crawl through. That's where those big deer are at. I know they're in there. And one day, Brother Jim, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to cut out a hole, and I'm going to ambush one of them. You can't get in there. Now, where did all that come from? Did we fly over the airplane and plant all of those weeds? No, they were always there. The potential was always there. But as soon as you remove those trees, you see, those trees kept a canopy of shade there, not allowing sunlight to get through. But yet when we remove those trees, the sunlight got through, those seeds begin to germinate and pop up, and now it's overrun. You see, it happened by default. And those weeds and those vines and those thorns, that's what wickedness is sin in our society today. We've removed God. And when you remove God, you've now opened up the table for anything to take place. And now, don't be surprised with what you see on television. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when we call marriage this and marriage that and we redefine it. I'll promise you, you've yet to see the depths of sin in America. You've yet to see it. Why? Because look, the further you move God out of this equation, evil takes its place. Because evil is always evidence of the absence of God. And we started kicking him out a long time ago. And every time we kick him out, a little bit more wickedness, a little bit more evil takes its place. We don't have any (coughs) exterior windows on our building. That's kind of like a Jehovah's Witness. You know, Jehovah's Witness don't have any windows either. Kind of worries me a little bit. Why don't we have windows anymore? But no, we don't have any windows in here. And um, if you turn all the lights off, do you know what we fill this room? Darkness. Darkness. Where did the, the darkness occupy? Where the light was. But when the light was gone away, what took its place? Darkness. Look at our country today. I mean, look how wicked our country is. There's no need to scratch our head. 
There's no need to wonder. We are living, verse number 16, we are living in a, in a time where the days are evil. We as the people of God, listen, we've allowed that to happen. We've allowed that to happen. We can't complain about the evil day because, listen, we were the ones who had the opportunity to keep God in his rightful place. But we have stepped aside for feelings, political correctness, whatever you want to call it. We have stepped aside and allowed God to steadily be carted out of America. And yet we're wondering, where's the evil coming from? The evil's filling the void where God used to be. That's all it is. We've got to understand the day we're living in. The day we're living in is simply defined as the evil days. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 that after his departing, what did he say? After my departing, grievous wolves are going to enter. See, Paul was that spiritual influence. Paul was that governing one. I mean, look, if I was the devil, I'd be afraid to go against Paul, wouldn't you? Paul was there guarding. Paul was there keeping the, the, the gate. And all of a sudden, Paul says, when I'm gone, after my departure, grievous wolves are going to enter in. And oh, how the wolves are having their way with our country today, aren't they? What's that? The reason I want our dads and our husbands here tonight is because, Dad, you're the keeper of the gate. You're to guard that house. You're to guard that home. You're to guard the hearts of your children, dads. And I see wolves shredding our homes, shredding them. I see wolves shredding the hearts of our children. By the way, you know when you zoom in on America far enough, all America is is a bunch of homes. That's what we are. If the devil gets the homes, he's got our country. What's this church made up of? Homes. And wolves have entered in. Why? Because we have left room where God used to be. America's problem this morning, it's not an absence of God. I mean, it's not a, a presence of evil. It's the absence of God. We say, man, all this bad stuff going on. I wish all this bad stuff would go away. The only way the bad stuff's going to go away is to put God back in its place. You see, only one or the other, hot or cold. Psalms 9, 17, the Bible says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Notice the correlation here. It correlates wicked with those that forget God. Wickedness takes the place of those where we have forgotten about God. And folks, I'm telling you, we should not be surprised. It blows my mind to read social media. And uh, sometimes, you ever want to be a smart aleck on social media? I'm going to tell you, the temptation is there. The struggle's real. There's sometimes I'll pull out my phone. How many, how many have I deleted? Thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit in my wife. I'll say somebody's post and I'll go on there to just give them a really smart aleck answer. And the Holy Spirit says, don't. And most of the time, I don't. Folks, the Bible says the mystery of iniquity doth already work. That was in Paul's day. Imagine how much more it's grown exponentially now. Why? Why? Because evil is just so powerful. No, evil just fills the void where God used to be. That's why they were living in an evil day. Well, watch closely in verse 16. The Bible says redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, let's go back up to the first part of verse 16. What are we supposed to do? And this is what's interesting. God recognizes in verse 16 that the days are evil. Notice that. God recognizes it. God says the days are evil. I recognize that. But notice at the beginning of verse number 16, he still had something for them to do. What did he want them to do? Redeem the time. He says, you know what? I know that. I know the circumstances are not good. And I know what's going on in the, the city you're living in. It's not preferable. But in spite of the fact that the days are evil, I still expect you to redeem the time. Notice number two, that's the decision we must make. The first is notice the day that we're living in. We're living in an evil day, but now we have a decision to make. Why? Because God still expects us to redeem the time in spite of the day that we're living in. I remember years ago when I, when I went to work with my dad full time, uh, you know, I worked with him in the summer. 
And working the summer is great because you get to work for a little while, but then you get to go back to school and don't have to work anymore, you know? Just get enough spending money to get you through the summer. And I remember the first time after I went to work with him after college that I woke up one morning and it was probably 20 degrees outside. That's cold, all right? Especially down here in the south. That's really cold. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, 20 degrees outside. There's frost on the ground. There's, uh, there's ice hanging from the trees. Yeah, we probably don't work on days like this. Little did I know that if I wanted to get paid on cold days, I had to work on cold days. Dad comes in, he slaps my foot, wakes me up, says, let's go. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't want to ask him because I didn't want to act like a wimp. And I'm thinking, are we really going to work today? We get to work and you're having to scrape the ice off of the two by fours so you can make a wall out of them. Just misery. Your nose is cold. Your face feels like it can't move. And when you hit your thumb in the cold, it hurts so much worse. I think, I think, look, forget waterboarding. I think that would be a great way to get information out of people. Just freeze their fingers and hit them with a hammer. I mean, that pain hurt. I told you I have a sin nature just like you do, okay? I mean, it just hurts for days. And I'm thinking, surely we're not going to go to work on days like that. Sure enough, we did. You see, in spite of what was going on, there was still a job to do. And right now, we as the church, all this that's going on, we've just kind of hibernated in our cocoon just a little bit. But can I tell you something? In spite of the fact that the days were evil, he still expected them to redeem the time. God says, look, in spite of what's going on, I still have something for you to do. Now, folks, here's where we're messing up. We're spending all of our time responding to the time rather than redeeming the time. That's what we're doing. Oh, am I guilty? Yeah, I mean, you feel like hot potato. You're just catching hot potato, hot potato, hot potato. We're just catching one trouble after another. Hurricane just hit Texas. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, what is next? You know, who knows? We've got an election coming up. I hope all this is over after the election, you know? I kind of feel like it probably will be. But all of these things keep happening. And you're wondering to yourself, when's it going to end so I can get back to work? Oh, no, no. We're supposed to get back to work even if it don't end. The time still must be redeemed. We still have a job to do. God says, I want you to get something out of this time. That's what redeeming is. Claim them. Get something out of it. I used the illustration earlier. Last night, or a few nights ago, I went to, to brush my teeth. And do you know how when you're running low on toothpaste, I don't know if y'all do the church house, but you start rolling it up. Do y'all do that? Y'all do that? Or maybe not. Okay, some of you are like, what? We, we try to be good stewards of our money. Okay, that's what we're doing. Trying to get all the toothpaste out of there and roll it up. And we're rolling it up. You're trying to squeeze it. But after a while, you're going to be the unlucky guy who it just falls on to where you squeeze and you're squeezing. You know what I'm talking about? You got it rolled up. Some of you are looking at me weird this morning. Do you brush your teeth? I mean, come on. All right, you roll it up. I mean, you can squeeze it out, and you're sque- you, you got the nozzle between your fingers. Are we there? Are we there? Okay. And you're pushing with your thumb, and you can see it in there. It's in there. And you're like, come on, man, come on. And you're trying to get it out, and just about the time you get your brush, he goes back in, and he hides. And you start pushing again, and he's there. And finally, you get one more. Then what do you do? You put the lid back on, and you let your wife be the one who gets it next. Like, you couldn't get it out. Do you know what you're doing? You're getting every drop of toothpaste you can out of that tube. So I don't want any of this to go to waste. I'm going to get it. Look, I paid $2 for that toothpaste, and I want to get every drop out of it, all right? You're redeeming every bit of it. None's going to waste. That's what God wants us to do. God doesn't want us to sit by and bide our time and wait till this is all over. God says, no, in spite of the fact you're living in an evil day, redeem the time. God recognized it was evil. God knew before you and I were born that we would live in 2020. God knew that. God knew what was going to happen. The coronavirus has not caught God by surprise. God knew about everything that was going to be happening, and still, he says, redeem the time. I want you to squeeze everything you can get out of it. 
Right now, all we see is the mess that's going on when we should be trying to see, what can I get out of this? What can I redeem out of this time? I read a story this morning. I actually read it a few days ago, but I read it to the early service. But a man by the name of Sir Edwin Landseer. And I'm going to tell you the best of my recollection because I didn't bring it up here this morning. He was one of the most famous painters of the Victorian era. He gave art lessons to the queen and her children taught them to draw. And was just a very good uh, artist. He could paint. He did a lot of work with charcoals. One day he was at a, uh, at a mansion, one of the big houses there, giving art lessons to one of the children. As one of the servants came through, he tripped, and as he tripped, a bottle, what they called soda, I'm assuming it was like a soda water, uh, came off the tray and splashed up against the wall. It was beautiful painted walls, and now it had this water stain all over it. The family had to leave the house for a few moments to go somewhere, and the artist says, can I say I'll clean it up? He cleaned it up, but there were still water stains on that wall that was there. So he pulled out his charcoals and began to trace those water stains and began to put a little, little texture and a little color here. Before all was said and done, he had taken that water stain that was on the wall. He made the most beautiful picture of a waterfall that you had ever seen with rocks around it. And no one would have ever known that that started out as a stain. That started out as something that was unpreferable. It started out as something you would never want, that you would never desire, but he made something out of it. You know what he did? He redeemed the stain. That's what he did. The stain was good for nothing. The stain was useless. The stain was was something you wouldn't want. You would get rid of. And yet he took it. Why? Because he was a master artist. And he took it and he took that stain and he made something beautiful out of it. And doesn't the Bible tell us that in Isaiah 61 that our God can give us beauty for ashes. He can take something that you never thought you could get anything out of and it seems useless much like the day we're living in. God, I can't get anything out of this. God, how can we do? We can't go door knocking. God, we can't do anything in all this. You just wait. God wants us to redeem this time. Get something out of this time. God wants us to continue and who we're called to be representing him. And I'll assure you this. You'll look back after it's all over and you'll see what we thought was a water stain on the wall and God will have made something beautiful out of it. But you've got to make the decision to do what? You've got to make the decision to redeem it. Heard a, a story on, on radio years ago. It was on, I was listening to Dave Ramsey, and Dave Ramsey was trying to give financial advice. I was a young guy, and I really needed financial advice. Uh, my wife taught me that there's a ledger in the back of a checkbook. Whoever knew that was there? You know, I knew that I needed to put money in the bank. When they sent that nice little notice in the mail, I uh, said that you're overdrawn. I mean, I was in my 20s. I was making really good money, and so I didn't mind paying the $35 fee. And my wife, one day I came home from work, and she says, uh, did you use a debit card today? I said, yeah. She says, where are the receipts? And I said, what's that? I didn't bring home receipts, and I had to bring home receipts, okay? And so I needed some good financial sound, sound financial advice. I listened to Dave Ramsey, and one day I'm listening to Dave Ramsey, and this guy calls, and he says, you got to help me, man. He said, what's wrong? He says, look, look, my wife left me, and now she wants, uh, you know, child support for the kids, and I got student loans, they're going to repossess my car, and I'm two months behind, and this happened, and I got sick, and this happened, and I couldn't go back to school, and this happened, and my wife left, and Dave said, stop right there. He says, you know what your problem is? And the guy says, what? He says, you get ready for this. I'm just going to tell you what your problem is. And man, you could tell the guy, was like, I'm ready. I need to hear it. He says, the problem is everything happens to you. He says, instead, you need to go happen to something. I thought to myself, I said, that's words of wisdom. He's sitting back and he says, look, you're where you're at today because you keep allowing stuff to happen to you. Instead, he says, why don't you be proactive? Why don't you go happen to something? I thought that, well, what a great advice that is. We're sitting here for the past four months, and this happened, the virus happened, we had all these problems in our country, and tornadoes, and we got hurricanes, and all of this is happening to us. And we're frozen in our tracks. 
we're not redeeming our time. When our Father would have us to go and happen to something else and redeem the time. But what is time this morning? Time is simply a measure of our moments. Time is simply the opportunity that God gives us. All right? Now watch close. I want everybody to do, do me a favor real quick. On the count of three, let's inhale together. You ready? One, two, three. Exhale. Down. Don't spray drums on everybody, okay? Spray them down. Right, as far as I know, every one of you are alive. A few of you, you're barely with us, but I think you're just fixing to go to Neverland. Some of you are. I'm not quite sure. You get some more rest on Saturday nights, okay? You're alive. You have breath. You've been given time. Do you know what that is? That's opportunity. God's given you opportunity. You say, well, you don't understand. These are perilous times, but you still got time. You say, well, you don't understand. These are uncertain times. I know they are, but you still got time. Redeem the time. Here's what's sad. I want you to see something. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. I want to show you something that ought to break your heart today. Revelation chapter 12. I want you to look down at verse number 12. The Bible says, therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a what? Short time. Now, who are we talking about? We're talking about the devil. The Bible says, he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Evidently, the devil has a watch. And he knows that time is running short. Now, as we read this passage here, pay close attention. But watch how he reacts because he has a little time. The Bible says, having great wrath. Notice, he knows he has but a little time. And so, therefore, he has great wrath. He is responding in his actions to the amount of time he is going to have to work in the future. Now, folks, if the devil, listen to me, if the devil recognizes that a short amount of time ought to motivate you to be great about the thing you're doing, then, folks, we as the people of God ought to know better, all right? It's sad that the devil is more concerned about redeeming his time than we are about redeeming our time. The devil knows he doesn't have much time. I have talked to so many people lately, and they're in the spiritual firefight of their life. I've talked to pastors and missionaries, church members, moms and dads. I'm talking about there are so many this morning in the fight of their life, the devil's pouring it on. Marriage is under attack. Hearts are under attack. Church is under attack. I mean, it's happening all over our country. Why? Because the devil has a good watch. And he knows he doesn't have much time left. He knows this clock is ticking down. Whether we have 100 years left or 100 days, I don't know. But the devil knows his time is limited. So what does he do? Well, the same thing he's going to do in Revelation chapter 12. He has great wrath. He's motivated by the fact he doesn't have long to work. The sad thing is we can learn a lot from the devil. We can learn a lot from him. He knows time is short and therefore he's working hard. And God says here, I know the days are evil, but redeem the time. Hey, get something out of this. It's going to count. I know it looks like a stain on the wall, but you could do something with that in this time for the cause of Christ that when you stand before him, you're not there empty-handed. That's all that's going to matter one day. My wife and I celebrated 15 years of marriage the other day. And um, so thankful for my wife, the blessing she is to me. And I was out of town preaching, and I had bought her a gift that she wanted. I think she put a Facebook post about it. It was just an old metal sign, long story with it. And I bought it a month ago, a month before our anniversary, and I kept it under our bed. I made her promise, <clears throat> I made her promise not to look. As far as I know, she didn't look, all right? It's between her and God, but as far as I know, she didn't look. 
And when I got ready to go on that revival, I, I packed up the car, or she usually packs the car, but I, I packed up the gift in there as well. Uh, and I kept it in the car. I could not wait till our anniversary rolled around because I, man, I've been working so hard. I wanted to, to give her that and, and to give her that sign that she saw, saw years ago when we first met. And that day rolled around. I went out to the car. I was excited. I got it out of the trunk and came in the house. And, oh, you know, here it is. Because I just pride myself on trying to give good gifts. I'm about seven out of 10. They're pretty good. Every once in a while, swing and a miss. I mean, you ever do that, man? Woo, woo, I could tell you what they were about. Uh, but most of the time, <laughs> she knows what it's about too, don't you? I, uh, most of the time I get it right. But man, I look forward to giving her those gifts. And I hold on to them. I'll, I'll see something she likes. I have a running list on my phone. I do recommend every husband, if you have a smartphone, anytime your wife says, you know what, I'd like to have one of these, put it on there. All right? Because the anniversary is going to roll around. You're going to be like, I wonder what she wants. I remember, what was, what was it? And you're going to get the wrong thing, and you're going to have a rough couple of weeks, okay? So I'm just telling you, you ought to take notes on those things. And so I keep track of that, and man, I gave it to her. So excited. She opened it up, and she loved it. But here's what I want you to think about. Man, I, I can't wait till I stand before my Savior and I want to have something to give him. I want to have something to lay at his feet. But right now, we're doing our shopping. Okay? There's, there's no gift shop in heaven. You know, I got to go find something to give the Lord. <laughs> you know? You're going to ask Peter and you're going to ask Paul, hey, where's the gift shop? They don't have one up there. Right now is when you do your shopping. Right now is when you've got to continue. Right now is when you've got to redeem the time. Hey, get something out of this time. Don't be complaining about how bad things are. I know. If you want to know how bad it is, I can show you texts and messages and phone calls about how bad it is, all right? I hear about it all the time. But hey, we're here for such a time as this. I mean, poor Esther, she just had it so easy. I mean, just sitting there in the castle, I mean, it was not difficult. Oh, no, she'd have lost her life. The circumstances by which Esther was called to serve God, they were difficult. They were evil days. All of her people are going to be wiped out. And Mordecai comes to her and says, hey, squeeze something out of this. Redeem something out of this. And oh, did she. You're talking about getting every drop of toothpaste out of the tube. Esther got it out of there. Why? Because she decided, I'm not going to let this opportunity pass. This is my time. If there's something I could convey to our church this morning, it would simply be this. This is our time. This is our time. So how do you know? Because you're alive. <laughs> I mean, you're breathing. Your heart is beating. Hey, you're alive in 2020. You are here for such a time as this, but you've got to decide to redeem it. You've got to decide, I'm not just going to sit back here and respond to the times and be scared. No, I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to get something out of this. Number two, notice the decision we must make. We must make the decision to redeem the time in spite of the circumstances. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus told his new disciples this. He called them in chapter 4, and, uh, and in chapter 10, six chapters later, he tells them this. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> That's not the greatest of motivational speeches there. You know? I've called you to be disciples. You've left your family. You've left everything behind. And behold, I'm going to send you into this world as sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> Not very exciting. I would have rather him say, I send you forth as wolves in a world of sheep. Yeah, I can handle that. Be the apex predator. No, no, no. He says, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now watch this. He knows what they're going into. And yet he sent them anyway. Could we agree on that? He says, I'm sending you forth as sheep vulnerable in the midst of wolves, but I'm sending you anyway. And God has sent us here 
for now, for such a time as this. But wait a minute, you're going to miss the time. You're going to miss the opportunity. Why? Because you're not going to decide to redeem it. So number two, the decision we must make is we're going to redeem it. We're not going to sit here and respond. We're not going to sit here and just react to what's going on. We're going to redeem the time. Now notice the last thing. We see the days we're living in are evil, but God expects us still to redeem the time. Finally, verse 15, we're working our way back up. The Bible says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So how do we redeem the time? How do we get all that we can out of this time that we have? Well, the Bible gives us a simple prescription of that. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Now, what does the word circumspectly mean? It means cautiously, carefully. It means that before we take a step in our spiritual life, before we take a step in our families and homes, that we make sure that's the step we're supposed to take. We're taking it cautiously and carefully. We're not just living life out on the edge aimlessly. We know what we're doing every step that we take. Brother Bo's from an area, Brother Timothy's also from the area, same area over there in uh, near Lauderdale, Newton County, uh, Highway 80 uh, over there. There's a place called the Chunky River. Anybody ever heard of that? The Chunky River. And uh, a good friend of ours is the mayor over there in uh, Chunky, Mississippi. And, uh, you know, with our obesity rates in, in, uh, in Mississippi, I think there's probably a lot of towns that are probably should be called that. But he is actually the mayor of the official Chunky, Mississippi. And uh, if you're ever going on Highway 80, headed east toward Meridian, uh, you're going to come to the Chunky River. Okay? It sounds nasty, doesn't it? The Chunky River. And you come to the Chunky River, and when they built the road and built the bridges, they were made for cars that were very narrow. Okay, like Model T's, I guess, Model T's, Model A's. Very, very narrow cars. It's the first time I ever come through there. I was preaching there years ago, long before Miley was born. I come through there at night, and all of a sudden, the road narrows at the bridge, and you can barely fit two vehicles on Highway 80 uh, there in Chunky, near Hickory, Mississippi. And a good friend of ours, Brother Aaron, told us the other day, he's lost two or three mirrors on his cars because it's so tight. When you're going through, you're looking at the concrete rail or the drop-off, or you're looking at the oncoming car on the other side. And he said, you try to get away from that concrete, and you get so close, the cars slap mirrors. And I hate going down that road. I hate going down that road. And so I'll be driving through there, and all of a sudden you'll see a car coming, and boy, your palms begin to sweat. You know, you get nervous because, man, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to wreck your mirror because your wife will laugh at you. And so we're going down the road, and you look at the concrete, and you're looking at the, the line. Look at the concrete, look at the line. You, you don't have a whole lot of room there. There's not a lot of wiggle room. You've got to get your car right down the middle, or you're going to risk losing your mirror. Those guys with those big trucks, I don't know how you make it down that road. That's driving circumspectly. You're going carefully. You're moving forward, but you're moving forward decisively, knowing that every move is going to make a difference. This is how we should be living. Right now, we're living in a very dangerous time, and we should be living circumspectly. Listen, there's no room for error. There's no room for error. If you're going to redeem this time, you're going to have to make sure that every step you take is taken circumspectly or carefully or cautiously. Now, folks, the stakes are too high. Number one, your potential is at stake as a Christian. Number two, your family is at stake if you don't get this right. Number three, your testimony is at stake if we don't get this right. And then we as the church body are at stake. Listen, we can't afford not to live and to walk circumspectly. Listen to what Job said in verse 23. Chapter 23, verse 11. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. How did Job navigate difficult circumstances? Now look, we hadn't gone through anything compared to what Job went through, all right? I know we feel sorry for ourselves a lot. And look, I whine and complain just as bad as you, but nobody hears it but my wife and Brother Bo when we're working, you know, working on projects together. 
I don't know anybody ever hears, but I whine about it too. But folks, can I tell you something? We haven't gone through anything compared to what Job went through. And yet Job made it. How did Job redeem the time even though the time was difficult? He says, my foot hath held his steps. You know what he's doing? He's walking circumspectly. Job says no fudging. Job says no cheating. I've got to have an unwavering faith in order to make it through this. That's how Paul made it. Paul says, none of these things move me. What were the things that tried to move Paul? Difficulty. Difficulty. Difficulty can be one of the best things that move you in your life if you're not careful. So finally, the dedication that's required is simply this. It's a dedication to walk circumspectly. Because I'll, I'll promise you this. If you, if you choose to fudge, you know what? I'm going to skip a church service. I'm not going to tune in. He said, well, I'm going to choose not to you know, have my devotion this morning. to be all right. You're going to give place to the devil. And you're going to miss the time rather than redeem the time. Now, folks, I wish God would have sent some great preachers to be on earth right now to help guide us through here. But, folks, we're it. Me and you, this is us. We're who God wanted here for now. And I believe, listen, by the grace of God, we can take this water stain on the wall and redeem it for the glory of God if we choose to that I'm not going to let my circumstances hinder me. Galatians chapter 5, you did run well. What hindered you? What pushed you back? What slowed you down? Well, you still don't understand. I had this going on, this going on. God knew that. He said, the day's evil, but I still want you to redeem the time. Now, folks, hear me out, and I'm done. Just as the church at Ephesus, we are trying to build a church in the midst of a pagan society, and it's only going to get worse. But what do we do? What do we do? Do we quit? Do we go home? No, we continue. We're going to redeem the time in spite of the fact that the days are evil. How are we going to do that? Because we're going to make sure that we're going to take every step by the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, I don't take that very lightly when we make decisions about our church. And I know folks get mad about uh, not having church and folks would rather be, I get that, all of that. But folks, let me tell you, there's some things you can't afford to get wrong. This virus is not something to play with. But as dangerous as this virus is, you can't afford to get your walk wrong in these times that we're living. Instead, why don't you decide this morning, I'm going to continue in spite of the conflict. God knows these days are going to be evil, and still he says, redeem it. Squeeze every drop and every moment we can out for the cause of Christ, because one day you're going to want to have that gift. Does, does it ever just shock you a little bit? I'm done. But does it ever shock you to think we're going to see Jesus? We're going to see him. And one day, I will be standing in front of him. And at that moment, I'm going to want something to give him, something to lay at his feet. And the only way you're going to have something in that moment is to redeem this time. So I'm going to wait till it gets better. What if it don't? What if it don't? Why don't we decide we're going to redeem it, and we're going to squeeze every drop of opportunity that God gives us until the trump of God sounds. So when we stand before him, we don't stand ashamed because we continued in the midst of our conflict. So our heads bowed this morning and our eyes closed. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.